remember uh, several years ago, uh, Cindy and I had only been married a f- couple years at that time, and we'd made a lot of changes in, in our lives. Um, Cindy had stepped away from her job as creative coordinator at a card company in uh, Taylorville, and she had decided to go back to school. She was attending school at McMurray, getting her teaching degree uh, in English. And I was pastoring three small churches in the northwestern area and was in seminary in Chicago, uh, going to Bethany. And um, needless to say, money and time was very, very tight in our household. And we had been running hard. And we just needed a vacation. You ever been like that? You just got to get away. And so we're trying to figure out how, how we're going to swing it, how we're going to be able to do this. And a friend of ours that's a travel agent found this good deal to Padre Island. And so she invited us to take a look, and she gave us the brochure. And as soon as we saw the brochure, we were sold. I mean, it was like off the charts. The, the hotel was, was incredible looking, had all these people sunning on, on this beautiful beach, and uh, they were splashing in an incredible pool, and um, they had these spectacular restaurants. And so we booked the trip. And it was probably four weeks, five weeks. Every day we'd look at that brochure. I mean, we were jazzed as a family because we were going to get away. And so we, we packed our bags. It was Christmas Eve. We, we packed our bags. We went to Christmas Eve service, came home, and uh, we were going to have to get up early. So we, we hit, hit the beds, and I couldn't sleep. It was like, okay, we're going to get out of here. So Christmas morning rolls around. We head to the airport for this trip of a lifetime. And uh, Long and short, we land in Texas, and the pilot says, Welcome to Harlingen. Local time, 1.30. Temp, 36. <laughs> this, is, this is where the trip went south, and not in a good way, okay? I mean, we, we picked up our rental car, which was extremely small, and when we finally got it packed, and it kind of looked like we belonged in a circus or something. I mean, it was, it was a trip. But we drove there, complained most of the way. But we finally got to the strip, and the traffic was light. And in fact, it looked like a ghost town. There was no traffic. We began to look for the hotel, and we drove back and forth on the strip. And we're looking at the brochure, we're looking at the address, we're looking at the picture, we're trying to find it, and we drive back and forth and back and forth. And because I'm a guy, I didn't stop and ask directions, we just kept driving. And finally, we spotted the sign. It was laying on the ground, it had fallen down. We pull in the parking lot, it's like empty. There's one or two cars. And so we're sitting in the parking lot, and we're debating if it's open or not. And then we walk up to the lobby, and we're wondering if it's operational at this point, because it looks bad. We hunt around a little bit. We finally find a clerk. He checks us into our room. And so we, we head to our hotel room. And as we're heading there, we pass by the two restaurants with big signs on them that say, closed for the season. (laughs) And to be honest, just about all the restaurants in this town were closed for the season. And so we walk in the hotel room, 
probably hasn't been remodeled in maybe 25 years. And it's colder inside than it is outside. And they've got one of these little mini heaters. Uh, we had them when, we were in, when I lived in the Keys. And it'll basically take the temperature up two or three degrees, maybe four. But it had a kitchenette in it, so using the great mind God gave me, I thought, well, I know, we'll use a stove to heat the room up. And so we fire up the stove. It was electric. We blow the power out. Get the power back on finally. And, you know, I told you that the hotel was like empty. That's not really true. There was one other couple in the hotel. And then in our room, we had our family and about 10,000 ants. No uncles, just ants. You know, six-legged kind. And they're pouring in to our room to get out of the cold. Honestly, I could go on and on. We could spend the whole morning talking about this trip because it's embedded in, in my mind. But by evening, what you found was us huddling in our beds, trying to keep warm. Stacy, our older daughter, had the flu. We were eating pizza because that was the only thing open. And get this, we were watching Christmas Vacation for the very first time. (laughs) That's true. Every time we watch it, we go, you remember going to Padre Island? But it was like we were living it. I mean, it just was. Now, I have to say, when we were laying in bed, we had this great view of the beach and the pool. Not through the window. It was too dirty to see through. But the door had been cut about three inches too short. And so the kids were able to lay in their bed and count the dead birds that were in the pool. And Cindy and I lay there wondering how all the garbage got on the beach. We laugh about it now. We affectionately call it our Christmas vacation from hell. But at the time, it wasn't real funny. You know, it's a trip that we will never forget. And it's a trip I wouldn't recommend you take. We've been in this series, MySpace, and we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, and we're looking at some of the things that King Solomon had to say, and it's it's jam-packed with godly wisdom. And today, what I want to look at is a trip that I wouldn't suggest you take, and that's a guilt trip. I mean, it's a popular trip. A lot of people get on it. But when you look around MySpace, when I look at my life, it is usually pretty easy to find my guilt. And friends, when you find my guilt, it will mess you up. It will mess you up. It is not what God intended for your life. And so today what I want to do is look at how do you avoid going on that guilt trip in your life? I mean, what do you normally do with guilt when it hits? I think people do one of about four things with guilt. When it it comes to guilt... We get really creative. Some people try to reduce it in their life. And I think there's different ways we try and reduce it. Some people try and bury it. You ever had someone give you the advice and they'll say, you got to bury your past. It sounds good. But the problem is it doesn't work. The, The fact is it keeps resurfacing. It resurrects itself. You know, it's kind of like the the old horror movie, The the Night of the Living Dead. You know, when it comes to my guilt, we try and bury it, but somehow it keeps coming to life. Somehow it crawls out of the grave. It creeps in our minds. 
And at times, I'll be honest, guilt can overwhelm you. Especially when it's in my space. Some people try and trivialize it. You know, you know how this goes. You go, oh, well, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But why is it that it hangs on for so long? I mean, why is it that it bothers you? Why is it that you've been letting it be there for 10, 15, 20 years? You see, you try and reduce my guilt, but it doesn't work. You try and rationalize it. You know, well, everybody's doing this stuff. You know, it may be true, but it doesn't make it right. You can always look around, and I've said this about the comparing game. You know, see, it's rationalizing to ourselves, but you go, you know, I'm a lot better than Osama bin Laden. Rationalize. We rationalize. I tell myself in my mind these lies. And I, and I know in my heart it's not true, but it's this battle in my space between my mind and my heart. And your heart looks at what you're trying to rationalize and says, you know what, who are you kidding here? Who are you kidding with? You know, another way we try and reduce it is we compromise. And you know how this goes. If you feel bad about something you've done, just lower my standards. I'll just lower my standards, then I won't feel so bad. You know, it's like the Jewish proverb that said, commit a sin twice, and it won't seem a sin. There's something about that. The hundredth time you lie, it's not as hard as the first time. And if you do something enough, if you compromise your values, your integrity, what happens is you get kind of callous inside. Your conscience begins to get calloused. It doesn't bother you quite as much. Proverbs 28, 13, it says, you will never succeed in life. Catch that? You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Why is that? You see, because they're going to catch up with you, ultimately. I mean, especially in today's society. Anybody watch the news lately? I mean, it it is shocking. Something 20 years ago that happened, the media jumps all over and makes it fair gain. But the reality is eventually, eventually, it catches up with you. I mean, we all have reasons. If we were honest, if we went around today, we all have reasons to feel regret in our lives we've done things we've made mistakes we've failed we've sinned and so burying this stuff doesn't work you know trying to reduce it in fact it'll cost you in several ways psalms 32 david i like what he says he says i wouldn't admit my guilt but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my day with frustration my strength evaporated until i finally admitted all my sins and stopped trying to hide them you know, David said, you know what? Trying to reduce this stuff, pretend it's not there, it made me miserable. I, I, it sapped all my energy. It, it, I spent it all trying to keep it down and not deal with it. But he says it didn't work. It kept popping back up. And so he said, reducing it doesn't really work. The fact is I've got to come clean. So some try to reduce it. Some try a different way, and that's run away from it. You know, Psalms 20, verse 27 says, The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. 
sometimes we try to get away from my guilt by running. You ever tried that? It doesn't really work. I mean, how, how do we run in, in our lives? We do it different ways. Some people do it. They, they simply overwork themselves. They become workaholics. They keep themselves running and busy, they, you know, kind of full throttle living. Why is that? Well, here's the idea. If I run hard enough, I don't have to deal with my guilt. If I, if I think about all those dumb choices I, I've made, if I slow down, I'm going to have to deal with that. And so we run, and we run, and then fatigue hits. And then you lay your head down on the pillow, and you're tired. And the moment you slow down, what happens? That feeling wakes up. You did it. You know what you did. Guilt, my guilt, it comes back out. Some people run, they try and escape through drugs or alcohol or sex or Disneyland fun fixes. And the reality is the only problem with that one is no matter how much you run or what you do, it's always with you. You, you, you can't get away from it. You know, it's like I've got my guilt and I run with it. But I've still got my guilt. And we think somehow we can get away from it. And the reality is we're just packing it around with us. Some people play a blame game. Anybody do that? Anybody ever blame someone? You know, they, this one's as old as creation. You know, I think back to the Garden garden of Eden. You know, you got Adam. Adam took it like a real man. He blamed his wife. You know, Genesis 3.12 says, the man is talking about uh, Adam. It says, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me the fruit, and I ate it. He blamed, he says, the woman you gave me, God. See, he's blaming God in this. I mean, it's so typical. You know, people have been blaming ever since. They, they blame God, they blame their neighbor, blame someone else. And the reality is blaming, it's just kind of shifting the responsibility from my shoulders and we try and put it on someone else's. And we live in this pro-society. I mean, we are pros at accusing people and excusing ourselves. We are great at excusing ourselves and accusing other people. We play this game, this victimization mentality. You know, it's not my fault. I, I, I was made, made to do this terrible thing. You know, it's all because when I was little, my parents made me wear green tough skin jeans and so I stole money you know or I robbed or I did this I can't help it it's all my parents fault well trust me if that could happen that would be me because I hated those things I did see you may play the blame game but the reality is it doesn't work I mean why do we do that why do we do that? I've been trying to think about why do we blame people? Well, I think it's because we're trying to balance my guilt. You know, in, in our minds, it's kind of like a scale. On one side, you have guilt, and on the other side, you have blame. And so somehow we think, okay, I feel guilty. And so if we can go, you know, you did such and such. See, it balances things out. And the point is that those faults, those failures of others, when we point it out that we're lightening, we think we're lightening what I've done, but it doesn't really work. 
Sometimes we even blame God. I like what uh, Proverbs 19.3 says, People, people's own foolishness ruins their lives. But in their minds, they blame the Lord. Ouch. I mean, God, why are you allowing this? I mean, if it's really your fault. You shouldn't have put me in this situation. And, and maybe it's just a poor choice that, that we've made in, in our lives. Here's something else people do. They beat themselves up. And this one doesn't work either, but, but basically what it is is we punish ourselves. And I think this is subconscious a little bit. You know, you did wrong, and you messed up, and so you go, you know what? I deserve to suffer. I, I deserve to pay for what I did. And so what we do is we go out of our way to experience pain. We, we get ourselves in situations where we get hurt, uh, where we have to endure. And inside, you're going, you know, I'm no good. I, I don't deserve to be happy. I, I don't deserve to, the promotion. I deserve to be punished in my life. And I've thought a lot about just how we beat ourselves up and how, how it comes out. I mean, can, can my guilt make me sick? You bet it can. I was reading a study recently. They did a study at two major hospitals. And they said that about 50% of the ailments and the struggles that people were having, they believed are related to the topic of my guilt. Guilt. Guilt creating it or pushing it forward. You know, it's, it's such a powerful thing. Such a powerful thing. Can... Can a, a guilty conscience uh, make you depressed? Absolutely. I've seen it a lot. Uh, talk to people through the years. It's not always why depression, you know, so don't misunderstand me. But many times it's connected. You know, I did wrong, therefore i got to punish myself. Therefore, I, I shouldn't feel good about who I am. And it results in this deep, deep, dark depression. Can it make you fail? Yeah. I mean, you work hard, consciously, you're striving, you're pushing, but subconsciously, there's some undercurrent saying, you know, I don't deserve to succeed. I don't deserve that promotion. I don't deserve something good in my life. I'm, I'm a bad person. You see, my guilt, it'll, it'll sabotage your efforts. You know, guilt has this amazing way of causing us to punish ourselves. I mean, that's what happened to David. David writes in Psalms 38, he says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My pain grows and festers because of my foolish sin. I am bowed down and brought low. All day long, I'm filled with grief. That's pretty uplifting, isn't it? A lot of pain. Pain. The problem when you buy into this beat-me-up mentality is it never stops. It grows round after round after round. You keep trying to get a handle on it, but it just keeps you down and it keeps pushing you. And what's amazing is sometimes people will beat themselves up for 20 and 30 and 40 years. I've talked to people that have spent their entire life broken and beaten down because of it. The secret shame, pain in my space. You know, we hold on to my guilt and every time something goes wrong, you go, God's just getting even with me, I guess. 
and you hold on to it, and you don't let it go. Here's what I want to say today. Enough's enough. That isn't what God planned. The price has been paid. You know, you can be free. You can live without that my guilt in your life because there's a better way. I mean, what should we do with guilt? Well, the Bible's clear, in fact, very specific uh, on how we avoid going on that guilt trip. And I believe you can leave here today freed up. Leave the, my guilt here if you just take some simple steps. And I say they're simple. I didn't say easy. They're simple. They're, they're easy to understand, but they're not easy to carry out. And the first thing you've got to do is name it. You've got to name it. You don't try and reduce it. You don't try and trivialize it. You don't try and ignore it. You don't play the blame game. You know, you just say, you know what I did was wrong. It was sin. It was stupid. It was a mistake. It was selfish. I willfully did it. I did it because I wanted to. You know, to get ownership of it somehow. Proverbs 28 says, you will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. But here's the second part. But if you confess and turn from them, you'll receive mercy. You know, hiding, lying to yourself, pretending it's not an issue will jam you up. If you want to turn it around, you've got to name it. You've got to own it. You've got to be willing to call it what it is. You know, to quit playing the games and just say it. You know, God, you were right. You've got a better way. I was wrong. That's a hard one to say, though. You know, if you're, if you're really serious about dealing with my guilt, clearing your conscience, I've got a little bit of homework for you. And it, trust me, you'll go, well, this, uh, this sounds ridiculous, but it works. Get a pen and a piece of paper. Find a quiet place. You know, maybe get a notebook. And then just sit down, and right before you put the pen to the paper, just say a little prayer and say, God, help me. Help me to recall, whether it's conscious or unconscious, any feelings of guilt I have in my life. And then begin to write down all the things you feel guilty about. Lamentations, uh, the third chapter says, let us examine our ways and test them and return to the Lord. In other words, do a spiritual inventory in your life and write down all the things that you feel guilty about. Why write it? Well, because there's something that happens when you go from mind to pen that it gets very specific. And so as you move that direction, you begin to clarify. You get very specific. I remember the very first time I sat down and did this exercise. I thought I was going to write a book, seriously. I mean, it, it, it was overload. I was amazed at how many things I drew from that went so far back. Just make your head spin. And then after you've written and you just can't think of anything else, then I want you to take that, all those papers, those pages, whatever you've got, and basically just say, okay, God, here's all my guilt, all my stuff, all this garbage in my life. And I'm giving it to you today. And then read your list. Just read it. After you name it, see, that's the naming. 
then accept responsibility for it. And this, this is more than naming here. It, this is where you take full ownership. It was my fault. I, I don't rationalize it. I don't say, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. You know, there are a lot of people doing worse. You know, everybody's doing it. None of that. I don't blame people. It was mostly their fault. You know, in fact, here's what I would say about that. It may have been mostly their fault, but that's not what really matters. It may have been 90% their fault. Probably not. It was probably 50-50. But even if it is, let's just take the extreme. It was 99.9% their fault. I only had this little bitty piece to do with it, 0.1%. Here's what I would say. Quit focusing on the 99.9 and focus on the 0.1%. That's you. Because you're the one that carries the guilt. They have to deal with their guilt. You've got to deal with yours. I don't minimize it. I don't make excuses for it. But I accept responsibility for it. David, uh, there's this great story told in the Old Testament. David's in the penthouse of, of the palace. He's got the best look of all Jerusalem. He looks across to the apartments across the street. There's a young lady by the name of Bathsheba. She's taking a bath up on the roof. She doesn't have any clothes on. Seems odd in our day, but he noticed her. I don't know if he had his binoculars out, not, not sure, but what I do know is he sent word to her they didn't have cell phones back then. Didn't have a, a way to, to... So he sent his assistant. David ends up having an affair. And it gets even more muddled because she gets pregnant. And David sends her husband to war, basically murders him. And David tries to hide it. He tries to run for cover. He doesn't want to deal with it. And he fights for some time, but finally he gets exposed. And then David has to deal with his guilt. And although he, he takes that step in his life, David owns it. And, and I like what David says. He says, I recognize my faults. And I'm conscious of my sins. No blaming. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He didn't say, well, you know, everybody else's. No, he just took ownership of it. And here's what I'm convinced of. And I could tell you story after story out of the Old Testament and the New Testament. That if you're going to escape my guilt in your life... You're never going to do it till you take responsibility. Admit your faults. Admit to, to one another what, what's going on. Begin to, to deal in an honest way up front. You know, I think uh, one of the steps, and it's a piece of what being, being a church is, is admitting your faults to one another. Now, I'm not suggesting we stand up in here today and go, hey, let me tell you about all my faults. But I'm saying to find someone that you can begin to share with, and I'll, let me be clear on this, guys find guys and women find women, and you build the kind of relationship that's essential in life. 
But James 5.16 says, Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Did you catch that? So that you may be healed. You go, well, what do we need to be healed from? My guilt. You see, God's word seems to indicate that revealing is the beginning of healing. You know, why drag another person into it? Well, I I think because we're created for community. We're created to have authentic relationships. We tend to live life afraid, dishonest. We we tend to wear these masks, you know, to to play games, pretend we have it all together. In fact, we try and act like we don't sin. The reality is everyone knows we do. But part of sharing, see, here's what I think happens is, we have to realize we're human. And the more, the more you hide, the more shame, the more hurt, the more my guilt we have. And I'm convinced everyone needs at least one person in their life that they can just spill it all. Good, bad, ugly. Someone that will love you and accept you no matter what you say, no matter what you do. There's something very freeing about that. But see, we've got to accept responsibility if we're going to free ourselves from my guilt. And here's the third thing you've got to do, and that is ask for forgiveness. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we freely admit that we have sinned, we find God utterly reliable. He forgives our sins and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. When we admit our sins, God forgives us. He cleans the slate. He takes away my guilt. It says thoroughly cleaned, thoroughly cleaned. He, he forgives completely. He wipes it out. He erases it. How do you ask for, for that forgiveness? Well, let me, let me tell you what you don't do. Because I think a lot of people do, do this the wrong way. And it's kind of like uh, we beg God you know, to forgive us, you know, please, 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 pretty please, forgive me. Anybody ever do that? Friends, we don't have to beg God. God's merciful. God's loving. God's gracious. God, God is more willing to forgive you than you're probably willing to ask for, for that forgiveness. In fact, I believe today's waiting to forgive you. He loves to forgive you. You don't have to bargain with God. I'm just going to take the heat off for all of you. You know, people, people go, God, if you'll forgive me, I'll read my Bible for 10 minutes every day. You know, I'll, I'll become a missionary. I'll start serving. You, know, you don't have to do that. Give it up. You don't have to do anything. The right way is just ask, believe, and receive. Ask, believe, receive. Romans 3, 23, it says, All have sinned, yet God declares us not guilty if we trust. Here we go. If we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his mercy freely takes away our sin. That's what Easter's all about. Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross, and if I believe that, If I simply ask for forgiveness and accept that forgiveness, you're at the core here. I mean, the most basic 
truth of Christianity is this. Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross. And your forgiveness, and hear this please, your forgiveness is not based on what you do. It's based on God's mercy, God's love. It's based on Jesus. I mean, I don't know what you've done. I know we've all done stuff. Let's be clear on that one. But I don't know what you've done. But here's what I know. I know what Jesus Christ has done. And Jesus Christ has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And it's greater than what you've done. I mean, no matter what has caused my guilt, it can be forgiven. So you just take that step and accept Jesus Christ. You know, if, you're, if you haven't taken that step in your life, it's, it's simple. Just admit you're a sinner. I mean, is anybody or any of us delusional that we're perfect? No. I think we all know deep down we're, we're flawed. To just say, okay, I'm, I'm a sinner. And then ask for forgiveness, understanding that the reason why you can do that is because Jesus Christ died on the cross. And then ask God to be leader of your life. Give him the reins. You know, I say, turn it over to him. And then, here, thank God for what he's already done. And that's really important because it, it substantiates up here, I think, that it's taken care of. Now, I know, as I'm saying that, many of you have taken those steps to be a Christian. And you're trying to live the Christian life, and you're sitting there thinking right now, because I, I, I talk to too many people, and you're going, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer. I've, I've, I've given my life to Christ, but I still don't feel forgiven. I've asked for forgiveness, but, but I'm still dealing with my guilt. And I think part of the problem is that we don't understand how God forgives. I mean, we, we just don't understand. If you're a Christian and you've confessed your sins and you've asked God to forgive you and you still feel guilty over it, over something you've already confessed, that guilt isn't from God. That guilt's from the evil one because he wants to hold you down. And the fact is, when it comes to God's forgiveness, I think there's several things we've got to keep in mind. One, God forgives you instantly. You know, Isaiah 55, it says, God is merciful and quick, quick to forgive. When you ask for forgiveness, God will never make you wait. You know how you dump everything out and you go, okay, God, forgive me. God doesn't go, tell you what, I'll get back to you and let you know about that. No, he says, okay. God forgives us completely. You know, Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14 says, God God has forgiven all of our sins. He has canceled the record of the charges against you and took it completely away by nailing it to the cross. When Jesus died for your sins, which ones did he die for? All of them. The ones you committed yesterday, today, and get this, even the ones you're going to commit tomorrow. He 
died for all of those, and he's willing to forgive all those. In fact, Scripture indicates he'll throw them into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. And God will forgive you repeatedly. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever committed the same sin more than once? I mean, it's almost embarrassing sometimes. You go, here we go again. But you know what? God never gets tired, never gets exhausted. In fact, he's sitting, waiting to forgive you again and again and again. And one last thing, he forgives you freely. He forgives you freely. Ephesians 1, 7 says, By the sacrificial death of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. That's a celebration. You can't earn God's grace. You don't deserve God's grace, but it's freely given. It's yours. You know, Psalms 32, 1 and 2 says, What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What a relief for those whose God has cleared their record. And friends, that's what Jesus Christ did for us on Easter 2,008 years ago. So Christians, when, when you ask for forgiveness, my guilt, my guilt for a Christian, if you've taken that step, my guilt has no place in my space. And friends, I believe if we can understand that, and part of that's hard, but if we can begin to understand that and then begin to live that, we would be free. And it would change everything. My guilt, my space, my space, no guilt because of Jesus Christ. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, God, we thank you that you loved us so much you sent your son. And you knew when you sent him that it meant he was going to have to die. Not because of what he did, but because of what we did. And God, I thank you that you've had that unbelievable grace with us, that you have loved us when we're unlovable. That you're sitting there wanting to free us up when we want to beat ourselves up. And God, I pray that as we leave here today that we'd just be free, that we could dance and celebrate, that we can enjoy the life and the people that you've put into our lives. And God, help us be mindful of the times we step out, that we mess up. But God, I pray that you'd help us all know that my guilt has no place in my space. God, we give you the glory with all we say and do. We thank you. We thank you for Easter. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.